0: see.
1: The biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of course creators, and certainly the one that I've had, is people will often find ways not to do things. It's, it's really easy to kind of get excited about going through the material and then not do the hard step of putting it into practice.
2: Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder of Rizuku, a course platform, and I'm here with my co-host, Danny Eady, the founder and CEO of Mercy. In each episode, we showcase a course and course creator who's doing something really interesting with their course. And our guest today is Mark morley Fletcher. Mark is a jazz guitarist who's been performing for more than 30 years. He teaches the psychology of performance to musicians. Mark, welcome to Course Lab. Thanks, Abe. Great to be here. So Mark, can you give us a 30,000-foot view of yourself, your background in teaching, and how you came to this world of, of online courses, and then tell us a little bit about the specific course that you've been developing for musicians and, and how that's been going. Sure.
1: I've been a musician for, as you say, for, for a long time, performing all sorts of different things, but very much on the side. I'm a scientist by training. I, I had an office job for a long time and love to get out and play gigs in the evening, and I would find that I got you know, very, very frustrated by not being able to play as well actually in performance as, as I could in practice and I just assumed that this was the way it was. And I stumbled my way through that for decades or more of kind of just beating my head against a brick wall and making things better. And I found myself, after I'd quit the office job wondering what to do, going on a tennis course of all things, which looked at using performance psychology. So, sports psychology techniques to to improve your tennis playing, and I could not believe the impact that it had in just a three day course on how much my actual playing improved. But more importantly, in many ways, how much I actually started enjoying playing tennis much more rather than getting frustrated. So, I thought there's, there's got to be something here that I can do in music. Why didn't I know about this before? I went around to look for where I could get that training in music, and I just couldn't find anything that fitted the bill. So that started me off researching it, trying things out, bringing things over from tennis, drawing on my experience, getting something that worked. And it it made such a big difference. I thought, well, I've got to see if I can help some other people with this. Just started teaching something reasonably informally to see where it went. And again, the results were better than I expected to the point where I thought, well, I've I've got to try and make something of this. And that's how I got into the, the online world. It was not a desire to teach online rather it was having something to teach and discovering that it was just much more practical to do it and I could help a lot more people online yeah
2: I mean it sounds like a challenging topic in some ways to get musicians to think and perform differently what were some of the challenges you encountered in helping people with this topic and what were some of the solutions and techniques you've come up with in terms of the delivery of your course that have been really effective So I mean, I I break the challenges
1: down into two things, I guess. And the first one is is really that a lot of people don't think about this. They possibly think, well, you know, I'm, I'm just the way I am. This isn't something that you can change. How can you work on that? So that's that's kind of what you need to to get through to get started, I guess. But the the thing after that is, well, how do you actually do this? Because what you're dealing with is thoughts going on in your mind that are very nebulous, hard to get a hold on. So I think the biggest challenge I've had and the biggest thing I'm I'm proud of in terms of success is turning a lot of the, the concepts, which make sense, into practical exercises that people can do and getting them to do them
2: in a way that not only gives them results, but they can see, oh, this is making a difference. Were there approaches you tried that didn't work like you hoped and you had to iterate and improve them? Actually, surprisingly few, I would say. So
1: What I'd seen coming out of the the tennis course was the fact that this wasn't just some concepts out there. There were very specific exercises to put it into practice there was a group of people who were doing it together who were enthusiastic and that was kind of motivating you to do it there were instructors kind of watching you because it's, it's much more tempting in tennis and in music to just focus on the technique it's kind of what a lot of people like to do it's much easier so having someone standing over you going no forget about that go back to what are you thinking how are you doing the exercise? That made a huge difference. And this was exactly what I've succeeded to transfer over into the course. I guess I'd look at it as it's, it's not just the concepts, it's can you turn those into practical actions that people are going to do? And can you put them in a context where they are actually going to take those actions? Because the biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of course creators, and certainly the one that I've had, is people will often find ways not to do things it's, it's really easy to kind of get excited about going through the material and then not do the hard step of putting it into practice. So that's been the, the, the big area for me, I think.
2: Can you tell us about the, the hybrid structure that you've used to help people to feel more accountability and, and make more progress?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this came out of when I ran the course for the first time, it was a very hands on pilot approach, really looking to work with people and take them through it in real time. And I was thinking, well, if this all works, this can easily turn into something that people can do just whenever they like and have the material and and do it themselves. But I saw such a huge impact from having people go through together as a group, from having me push them and say, have you done this yet? And so the way I've done that is essentially to recreate that six-week program in a way that anyone can start it at any time. So there is a, a set of different exercises, different homework that I give people each week for six weeks and some of it is things for them to do and then send me the results so that I can see that they've done it and I can give them feedback and questions but also every week there is a performance recording for them to do so one of the big problems for this music thing is that a lot of this is about how you react under pressure and when you're just practicing on your own there's there's not a lot of pressure there so one of the ways to increase that is to get people to record themselves and have to share it with the group so we've got a group forum and these performance recordings you're making them every week there's a special thread each month for the people who are doing it that month to go through and post their recordings so there is the pressure of knowing that people are going to see it there is the community of seeing how other people are getting on Um, and it's a form to to put those concepts into practice so again it's, it's a format of saying you've got some broad concepts to work with here are some practical exercises for how you're going to do it but also when you've done the exercises. Here is a bigger piece, if you like, this bit of homework for you to actually go through and apply the the week's lesson. How do you find that when you put it into a proper performance situation?
0: So there's some really interesting dynamic tension here in that you want to create a certain amount of pressure and discomfort to simulate the real pressure of performance, but you also want to make it feel comfortable and safe for people to do it, and yet it's not optional, it's mandatory, it's part of the experience, part of what they have to do. How how is the process of threading that needle playing out in practice as you built and, and ran the course? Did you have to kind of correct and then overcorrect and then undercorrect in different directions? Or did you kind of nail it on the first try?
1: I think it's less of course correcting, but I think it's it's about building that feeling, is probably the closest I get. So it does require a little bit of individual handling with different people sometimes, because some people are totally up for this and will jump straight in. Others need more persuading. But the thing that makes the biggest difference, I think, first I'd say is is the overall setup. This is definitely a topic that people are sensitive around and it doesn't get talked about much. But you've got a forum where everyone is in the same boat. They've all decided they want to work on this. So I just make a point of explaining that this is a very friendly place. But the biggest thing is, and it took a while to get this going, is that people can go into the forum and they can see all the past monthly threads of people going through, posting their recordings, and they can see people getting up there, sometimes getting it right, sometimes making mistakes. They can see the positive comments and support from other people going through from the week one through to week six. They can see the improvement that people get when they do this. And one of the things I'm happiest about is to get the really positive comments from people coming out at week six saying they're so glad that they've done it. And it was such a huge part of the course. And the number of people who say they're going to keep doing this now that they've started, I find that very
2: satisfying. So it it sounds like a a key piece of this too is how you're facilitating the community, right? That it, it needs to be an environment where people are not just passively reading what others have done and posted, but that everyone is sharing and also supporting each other Can you talk to us more about how have you fostered that type of supportive and engaged community? Because that's not easy to do.
1: Yeah, it's been an effort. I've been very active all the time to get things going. Another part of it is, even though it doesn't necessarily do anything for the course, one of the first things that I ask people to do when they join the course is to go into the community, introduce themselves, and also to just comment on another person's introduction. So trying to get people in there and interacting as soon as possible. A lot of it was around me going and starting a few discussions, replying to things, and I still go in and, and reply to everyone's introduction. But I think it's really started to, to take off when people can see it modeled in, in the past thread. So that the more it's it's picked up momentum, the more people have kind of seen this looks like the culture, I'm going to keep doing it. And I think one of the things that possibly contributes to this, but I think is is one of the biggest learning things about it is to get to this point. I've seen people getting as much learning from interacting with other people in the community as from me giving them feedback a lot of the time. So one of the big realizations is that people will post their videos there and say, oh, I was so tense and nervous and I made so many mistakes and they'll get comments back on it from people saying, oh, but you looked fine and I didn't notice the mistakes. I see that on both sides. And that for me is, is one of the biggest learning experiences, I think, of people going through this, is the chance to see someone else doing the same thing as them and recognizing, you know, it's one thing for me to say, people don't notice mistakes, people don't see how nervous you are. But for them to actually experience it, either when they've put a video out there, or when they've seen someone else in the community doing that is, is one of the most powerful things I think people are getting
2: from this. The hybrid structure is really, really interesting. Uh, the way that you're able to engage people in these uh, boot camps to get them involved in, in accountability and, and community, the being able to f- to foster a supportive community with meaningful peer feedback sounds like it's a really, really critical piece of this, and has also allowed it to scale beyond what you can personally facilitate yourself. Is there anything else? Other lessons learned from working with your students with this community and seeing how it's grown over time that might be helpful to, to share with other course creators? So, one thing is an unexpected
1: side effect of this hybrid structure. It's the fact that it allows people to take things at different paces because they can start at a given date. They really want to work on their performance and the time doesn't fit them. So, just being able to start whenever is really helpful. But the other thing I found useful is it allows people to go through the course at different speeds. Because some people choose to just jump in and they go through the lessons and they go through the boot camp at the same time. So they're essentially learning everything and then putting it into practice every week for six weeks. Whereas others will take the chance to go through all the lessons first and go through that slowly, absorb it. And then when they come and do the six week bootcamp, all they're doing is the exercises. So people with lots of time can really blaze through it and go very in depth. And people with much more going on, less time to give to it can still get through and, and get stuff out of it. I think it's worth saying, though, that this was not how I'd planned it. It's evolved. It happened because I couldn't see it, it giving people the value that they deserved if I didn't do it this way. And it's been very much a case of trying something and keeping on with the things that have worked and tweaking things where they, where they needed it and, and seeing what people are saying, how they're using it and, and adjusting or not adjusting in that way. I certainly couldn't claim that this was my vision and I just designed it and it all got there. It's been much more messy and iterative than that.
0: I really appreciate your pointing that out because it's very easy to hear the story of someone who's built this super successful course and over a thousand students enrolled and it's such an elegant design and we forget often in listening that it didn't spring forth into the universe whole cloth, so to speak, right? It was an iterative design and development, um, and, and that's what leads to such an elegant and effective structure.
1: I'm still working on it and iterating, and I'm sure there are things that don't work as well that I will discover and hopefully fix, or things that I, I know aren't perfect and I haven't worked out how to do yet. It's the comments and the feedback from people in the group that really help. So I mean, in one way, you know, the forum is there for them to interact and for them to get more out of the course. But that also is one of the things that makes it much, much easier for me to see what's working and what isn't and adjust. Because otherwise, I might simply not be aware of, of some of these things that I could improve or that need improving.
2: The structure you've come up with is really, really interesting. And I, I don't recall seeing anything, you know, quite like it. So I think it's gonna be very, very valuable. I just wonder if it's worth,
1: if people are interested in talking about the kind of the practical structure of how it works at all, or, or is...
0: Well, yeah. Do you want to walk us through it?
1: Yeah. So it's a very simple setup, and I'm sure it could be made smarter, but there hasn't been any obvious need for it, so I haven't changed it. So all I have really is a traditional course website with all the lessons in there. Attached to that is a forum, and there is an option for people whenever they want to just stick in their email address that they've signed up with. And that starts an email autoresponder that drips out six weeks of tasks over six weeks and they get two emails a week. The first one just gives them the task, tells them when their deadline is to put the performance recording in the forum and send their homework to me. And the one in the middle of the week is just a reminder. You've got a couple of days left, but also an extra kind of have you thought about this or have you been reflecting on that? It keeps people engaged and very clear on what to do. And and it means that all I have to do is the important work of when they send me their homework, I can reply to that. When they post in the forum, I can see that. I don't have to be keeping track of when to send out assignments and who's doing what and this sort of thing.
0: Very cool. Like, like I said before, it's simple yet very effective. It's very elegant. Awesome. Abe, do you want to do the readout?
2: Uh, I think it's you for this one.
0: Is it me? Okay. Mark Morley Fletcher is a jazz guitarist and educator who teaches musicians to play better by improving their mindset. You can find him at playinthezone.com. That's playinthezone.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best insights and practical takeaways for you to take and apply to your own course.
2: All right, Danny, it is time for the debrief. And this is a really interesting one. So, yeah, what was what was jumping out for you?
0: There's a lot in there kind of all tied together. One of the big challenges that online course creators have as they look to scale the experience is kind of this oscillation between do I go very like, you know, rich, interactive, dynamic, cohort-based, which feels like it wouldn't be scalable, or do I go in this very sterile, you know, just a bunch of information and videos in a membership site and they're on their own kind of because that seems like that's how you can get a lot more people in. And he's really threaded the needle nicely in that people log in, they get access to all the videos, they can go through it completely at their own pace, but they can register themselves for essentially a cohort-based experience. And many people do, and, and because he has the volume of people coming through the course There's always enough people to make it interesting. I thought that was a really elegant structure.
2: Yeah, and that is a good sort of caveat to mention to people, I guess, is that this model works best with a certain level or or flow of students, right? If he only had, you know, a couple of people signing up per month, you wouldn't really get that sense of community in each of the six-week boot camps. But you know, that caveat aside, the structure is is really, really interesting. I would suspect that it's not the evergreen component of the course that really gets that much use. I would guess, you know, without like seeing behind the scenes of his completion data that most people are doing the work, doing the assignments, contributing to the community as part of one of the the boot camps when they're getting the weekly assignments and the emails. But from a marketing perspective, it's pretty compelling to be able to say, hey, look, you can sign up and, and get full access to all these great lessons immediately. And then people can kind of discover as they get into it that, oh, I thought I was just going to do it on my own, but I really need the support of this bootcamp and the community to make progress. And so that support, which really drives the learning and the participation, is there, but you have the strength of the evergreen experience on the marketing side.
0: It's a good point. It's an important needle for course entrepreneurs to thread because they're course creators, they're educators, but they're also entrepreneurs. They need to sell the course. And often we kind of bump into these... Dilemma is essentially where there's an architectural component of the course where you're like, you know, I know that this is the best way for me to structure it for them to learn and get results and actually get the experience and outcomes they want. But it's not what they think they want going in, right? So, case in point, do you want to have to follow a schedule versus, you know, you can get it whenever you want? Most people prefer to have more freedom, even if you know, you and I both know, and most course creators know that isn't going to get them the actual results. Course creators often kind of stand firm and it's like, well, I don't care what you want. This is what I know is better. I'm the expert, trust me. But of course that can come at a cost from a marketing standpoint, or you feel like you're compromising, you're giving up and it's like, okay, fine, I'll give it to you the way you want it, even though I know it's not going to get a result. And Mark has done a really interesting job of, of threading that needle. Like giving people the freedom they want to be able to take that first step, but then also having the structure in place to then get them the result in, in a scale and time frame that's convenient for them. Yeah, and
2: it's also really a helpful model potentially for someone who wants to offer this type of cohort-based support to students, but not be in the position of saying, like, hey, I'm gonna launch a new cohort offering every month, right? Like that can be very difficult to sustain of trying to sort of promote a live cohort based offering like, Hey, we've got a new group starting June 1st. Hey, we've got a new group starting July 1st. Like you, you can't really promote that without creating a lot of fatigue in your audience or however you're reaching people. Whereas like the way has structured it, you can just have people coming in and signing up for an evergreen course off of his uh, website and he could promote it periodically in other ways as well. But then the, the structure is there, you know, once people join the course, it threads the needle pretty well in multiple ways.
0: It's also worth pointing out that he has a, a fairly large volume of people, right? So if he's got over a thousand people coming through on an annual basis, he's got 80 to hundred every month. So the volume is quite substantial, but you don't need necessarily such a large volume to make something like this work. A couple dozen every month. That could be enough for a cohort, depending on the structure you're going for. It could also be, if you add a layer onto this in in terms of peer interaction, maybe you put people in pods or in triads or in small groups or that sort of thing, right? Not like a whole elaborate setup, but just a way of managing the experience. At that point, the scaling becomes much easier because you can have, you know, two pods or you can have 20 pods and, you know, it, it kind of scales up and down depending on the volume.
2: Yeah, agreed. And then I guess kind of the second piece of the puzzle in Mark's setup was just sort of effective community facilitation, that it's not just giving people assignments to do, but then getting them to really share their progress, including some kind of uncomfortable things like showing themselves performing in the community so that that people are really able to support each other. And what I picked up from what he was saying is it wasn't so much about like giving really critical feedback saying like, hey, you need to improve A, B, and C to make your performance better. It was almost more like enthusiasm and cheerleading, like people being able to hear from their peers like, that was great. Like, I loved your performance, you know, it was energizing and so on, and and thereby giving people the confidence, the uplift in their mindset that they can go out and, and perform better in the real world.
0: The real key here is that it's a simulation of what they're ultimately going to experience. And we both know that learning about the thing is one thing, but actually experiencing it is another, And the more you can simulate what it's actually going to look and feel like, the more compelling it's going to be in terms of your ability to internalize what you want them to internalize. So he, he did a really interesting job with that.
2: Very cool. Any uh, final thoughts or insights?
0: Well, the other thing that I thought was interesting was the way he kind of balanced asking people to do hard things, but then really tying into not just that in order to achieve their objectives, they have to do the hard things, but really they signed up for the hardness. The hardness is part of what is going to lead to the learning and transformation. And that created a kind of commitment and consistency for people to do what they're supposed to do, for them to post, and that creates a feedback loop for him to then improve the program. So I think I said this a couple of times during the conversation, but it was just a very elegant structure. You can see the advanced scientific training in terms of architecting physical systems. Yeah, for sure. Cool.
2: Thanks for the great points. I am good on the debrief. If you are,
0: I am too. Should I do the readout? Course Lab is a Miracy FM original production. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. Again, I'm Danny Eney from Miracy, and my co-host is Abe Crystal. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb, Mishi Lance, and Jeff Govertson. Assembled the episode, Danny Eney, that's me, is our executive producer. Big thanks to Mark Morley Fletcher for taking the time to share his successes and challenges regarding his course. You can find out more about his classes at playinthezone.com. That's playinthezone.com. Don't forget to tune into Miracy's new podcast, Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they learned along the way. And to make sure you don't miss the great stuff we've got coming in this season of Course Lab, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.
1: Um, I'm not sure there's anything else that immediately comes to mind. Though. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you.
0: That was really valuable. It's a very elegant structure that you've put together. So I'm, I'm really glad we get to showcase this to, to our listeners.
3: All right. Are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed, so I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels.
1: That's a great frame. That's a a really great way to think about it.
0: Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing.
3: My favorite part of having the hard conversation is... Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions.
0: And, and I don't know if it's you know societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing.
3: I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively.
0: And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them.
3: People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested
3: in working with you.
0: The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative, it becomes toxic.
3: I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything.
0: Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording?
3: This is going to be fun. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh.
3: That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.